0: You know, as we go through this Christmas season, our hope uh, really uh, is that God would restore a sense of wonder for us. You ever need that? (laughs) Ever need a sense of wonder restored? You know, if you think back when you were a kid or even uh, whoever the nearest child is to you, uh, and you think, oh, wow, they, they have that sense of wonder and excitement, not just about Christmas, but just as a disposition towards life, right? And they they look at things because it's the first time they've seen them like that. It's the first time they've experienced that. You know, you take kids to Disney and they see the Magic Kingdom and, wow, you know, they're all excited. And there's a sense of wonder about life. But that also gets knocked out of us, doesn't it? You know that to be true, don't you? Uh, Life happens. We come into this world, there's some wonder and awe and we're learning and seeing things we've never seen but then life happens and life keeps happening and the wonder uh, that disposition gets gets pressed out of us and we lose it and as i think about my own spiritual journey i want to be that i think i'll know if my faith is alive if i'm progressing towards a reengagement with wonder to reengage With wonder. I wonder today if there are some things inside of you that you brought here in this room uh, where you've lost your sense of wonder because life has happened. I think today God wants to send his spirit upon us in a way that touches those very things. I want to give you a couple of moments before we spend time in God's Word today, because what we're going to look at are some pretty normal people who I think we could say maybe have lost the sense of wonder because life has happened to them. You know, when we look at some of these Bible stories, I think uh, I tend to think, oh, these are all staged events, right? There's a director, and everything is staged, and that's sometimes how we think about these events in the scriptures. But these are people who have walked through and are walking through the everyday things of life. It's happening to them. And they're asking the same kinds of questions when that gets knocked out of us. They're doing it too. Okay, where is God in this? Uh, I, I don't know how to piece this together. And so as we move into that this morning, we're gonna see, wow, like, the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth, those are our lives. Those are the kinds of things that happen to us. And I think in a special way, as we move towards Christmas this year, God wants to do something uh, in our hearts as a church and, and as his people. So I wanna give you a couple of minutes so that you know, you're know you not just taking in some things. Go before God. Let him maybe surface some things where you say, you know what, I've lost a sense of wonder and it's because this happened in my life or this keeps happening in my life. So take a couple of moments before we even begin and just be with God. Uh, Maybe you'll just ask him, Lord, I know the areas. I know it. Return a sense of wonder for me. Okay. Take a minute. Lord, we need your ministry today. We as your people need your ministry. We need you to restore some things for us. Sense of wonder. That you work, that you move on our behalf, that you're present. There's, we need to restore some things. And here in this room, we represent the everyday things of life that just come and they don't stop. So I just pray that your spirit would be here, working in people's hearts and just touching us in ways that we we need you to do something in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're gonna be in the first chapter of Luke. If you have your Bible, you wanna turn there, you'll see some verses coming on the screen. Luke. Uh, is the longest gospel that we have. Uh, I thought, oh wow! If um, uh, my mom's here today, and she said, "Hey, make sure it's a good one for me, and don't be too long." So, uh, if we were, if we were wanting one of the gospel writers to preach uh, every Sunday, and you didn't, and you wanted to get to lunch afterwards, it wouldn't be Luke. Okay, Luke's a longer gospel. He includes lots of details that are not included in many of the other Gospels, and that includes the material that's in chapters 1 and 2. So uh, Luke includes some things here that we're going to be looking at. Uh, in the opening verse, uh, Luke 1.1, 1, 1, it says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that, and there's that phrase, that have been fulfilled. The the, the essence of prophecy is that things are foretold, things are Predicted. That's how we tend to think of prophecy, predictions. Uh, But these uh, these things that were foretold, and Luke is recording and researching all the different things that have happened. Okay, he wasn't an eyewitness account. Uh, he, He he himself didn't see. He did the research to put all of this together, and he writes the things that have been fulfilled. In the in the Bible, there are some 300 prophecies that have been fulfilled through the birth, the ministry, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The book uh, called the Bible is filled uh, with prophecies. Uh, prophecy has always played a key part uh, in the unfolding mission of God. God, uh, he tells what he's going to do in advance. And it reveals something about who he is uh, for him to do that. Prophecy functions very much like a small bit that we're given of the total omniscience of God, right? God knows all things, the all-knowingness of God. And in prophecy, we get to see in a specific time for, you know, a little piece of that all-knowingness. And it functions in a couple of ways. One, it's kind of like an x-ray. Prophecy is a little bit like an x-ray. And it sees through the outward facade of things. And in a sense, it predicts the present. It told, the prophets often told God's people, this is what's going on right now. And they didn't see it. Okay. Part of that was the forthtelling hey, if we don't take inventory of what's going on right now and respond to God in it, then this is going to happen. And so that's a bit of how uh, prophecy functions, and it's always a part of the unfolding mission of God. Uh, Wouldn't you say that prophecy is one way that the wonder of Christmas could come alive for us again? (laughs) Seeing things that have been told hundreds of years ago fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Part of the reason Luke captures the story we're gonna be looking at today is because 400 years of silence, there's been no prophecy No angelic visitations from the closing of the book of Malachi to this moment that we're going to be looking at this morning. It's been quiet on God's front and this breaks that silence. And so let's look uh, and we're going to start in uh, verse 5 of Luke chapter 1 and we're just going to walk through kind of a paragraph by paragraph. I'm going to make a few comments. At the end of the service though, I'm going to give you an opportunity because I think God wants to rekindle some of the sense of wonder, some of the ways in which maybe life has beat you up and to restore some things for us. And we're going to leave some space for that at the close of the service before we have communion together. And so in these opening verses, starting in verse five, it says, in the time of Herod, King of Judea, that's sort of the scripture's way of putting a timestamp on something. You know, when you get your text, right? It's got a timestamp on it. This is the way the scripture does that. Uh, And so Herod's reign was from 37 uh, AD to four BC. And so he had a little timestamp when this is happening. So in that time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. We're introduced in these opening verses to the characters in this part of the plot. We're introduced to Zechariah, who is a descendant of Aaron, the priest. He's from the division of Abijah. He serves before God as a priest in the temple. It's a privileged place to serve as a priest before God. His wife, Elizabeth, was the daughter of a priest. Now, it wasn't required that a priest marry a priest's daughter, but you kind of get this sense that these are very special people, right? And it even says about how they loved God. They were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. It, It doesn't mean that they were sinless. It means that they had a longing for the things of God and a desire to be faithful to God. And then there's that key word there, but, but they were, this next slide here, they were, here's the plot twist, they were righteous and blameless, but that does not coincide with being barren and childless, especially in this day and age, uh, you know, that, that the scriptures were written, these did not go together. Luke is picking up, he's a detailed guy, and he's picking up on these very important details. They are these people that are serving God, but they're barren and childless. Let me turn that to you for a minute. Sometimes in our pursuit of God, have you ever been there where you're like, I'm seeking to be faithful. I'm seeking to please God. I'm allowing him to speak into my life. And then things happen. And this does, this, some, these are, we're juxtaposing these things. This this idea that God has favor on me does not coincide with this thing I'm experiencing now. And many times it's not just once in our life that that happens. There's a series of those kinds of things. Why does this keep happening? Why do I end up in this spot? And everybody would have been thinking as well, not just, I mean, imagine being a priest before God, marrying a priest's daughter. is like, okay, we have the favor of God. Okay, why isn't this working out? And you could see how the wonder would just dissipate. How do they make heads or tails out of that? Okay, God, why did you put me in this place where everybody out there, all the people would have been looking, saying, oh, that's a favored one of God. wonder what they did. Wonder why, I don't know, why would, you know, God put him in that position, but something must be wrong there. And they're looked at sideways. Boy, that would be hard. That would be hard. It'd take a long time, don't you think? If you're in this privileged place of being a priest, serving in the very temple of God. Why, God? Why? Sounds like life, doesn't it? Sounds like us. Sounds like our story. There's another piece that Luke records that's really important. It's the last piece. It says, they were very old. One scholar uh, says it this way. Nature's planned obsolescence had taken its course and there was no hope. That's the situation that they were in. They had, that ship had sailed. Okay. And they had to move on with their lives, but it's important. We know that as we go and continue with the story in verse eight, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. We learned some things about the priesthood here. Zechariah, we know he was from the division of Abijah. That was the eighth division. There were 24 divisions. In First Chronicles 24, uh, David had set up different divisions of the priests, and that's how they, in an orderly way, would serve in the temple. So they would serve... Uh, one week every 24 weeks. So they basically serve twice a year. So a division would have been about 300 priests. There were around uh, 8,000 priests in total. So, uh, and these offerings that were going to happen, they would have happened in the morning and the evening uh, twice. So if you do the math on it, not every priest even gets to do all of these special tasks. So that the lot fell to Zachariah was like another sign of God's something special uh, going on here. And uh, uh, he would get to go into the temple of the Lord uh, and burn incense. And um, it was a really privileged place. A priest might go their entire life waiting for this moment to get to go into the the holy uh, place. And offer up incense. I have a picture here of what the temple would, uh, the temple layout looked like. In the outer part, you have the altar uh, of burnt, uh, of burnt offering, and the laver. That's where the sacrifices would take place. That was the place where uh, sin was paid for. There, that's where the sacrifice happened. After the sacrifices would happen, and, and people would come and bring their sacrifices there, then the priest would go into the holy place. And there in the holy place, uh, after the sin was taken care of, that's when we can connect and relate with God. So it's all very symbolic of how we relate with God. The, the sin was taken care of in the outer court, and then into the holy place, we relate. And Zechariah, the lot fell to him, and he could go into that special place, and he burned incense at the altar of incense. Um, that altar of incense, uh, in, in the text, it said that the people were gathered, right? So their sacrifices had been made. So then the priest goes as a representative of this reconnection with God because sin, they, they'd taken care of the sin thing. And the incense was a symbol of the prayers of the people, this communion now with God. Now we can talk to him. Things have been taken care of and we can talk with God. Uh, here's a picture in the next one uh, of, a, of a priest who would go in uh, and burn incense. Uh, At the at the altar there, something special happened on this occasion as Zechariah went into the temple. In verse eleven, it says, "Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense." Zechariah knew there were certain things in the temple; this was out of place. (laughs) And there's an angel standing there. Verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. It's a pretty normal response. Uh, If you look throughout scripture, when there was a divine being in the presence of a human being, they were gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John, imagine for a moment the area where maybe you've lost wonder that maybe you've been praying about. And what if God gave you a word, spoke something special into your heart? Say, Jay, your, your prayer's been heard. Jim, yeah, your prayer has been heard. Would that renew a sense of wonder for you? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, what was, because of the way the text reads, it leads us to think, oh, maybe he was praying about the barrenness of his wife. Well, that ship had sailed a long time ago, right? We're decades from the time of childbearing into this place where Zechariah is. And as a priest, he would be a representative of the people, right? And so as he went in carrying the prayers of the people, he would have been praying for uh, a Messiah, for the one who would bring redemption to the whole of the people. And so imagine him in there praying on behalf of the people for that very thing. And then this angel shows up and says, I hear you. I hear you. Your, your prayer has been heard. Wow. <laughs> That'll restore uh, a sense of wonder that that prayer had been heard, especially 400 years, right? It's been 400 years since there was any angelic visitation or a prophetic word from God. And here it comes to Zechariah. He's told now somehow, somehow there's a connection between this larger picture of God's mission and what's going on in Zachariah's personal life. Your prayer's been heard, okay? Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. So there's some connection now between these things going on and what God wants to accomplish. John, uh, he, he tells him the name of his son there, the angel, what he's to name him. John means God has been gracious or God has shown his favor. Absolutely describes this moment, doesn't it? Well, in verse 14, it carries on. From there, it says, he will be a joy. So he's describing what this child will be like. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord, in the spirit and power of Elijah, who was one of the great prophets, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So we get a clue as to what this child is going to do. This child has a special role. He's going to go before the coming of the Messiah and prepare the way. He's going to be one who, from birth, was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was going to have the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah was a, a great and mighty prophet. And people, the people believed that Elijah would come back before the Messiah. And John the Baptist is that Elijah figure. And so some amazing things are being fulfilled uh, through, uh, through this. And uh, it's interesting. Remember how I said the 400 years, right? The angel quotes what was in the last Uh, Old Testament book in Malachi. In Malachi 4, 5, and 6, it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. He's picking up, the angel is picking up on the last word that had been spoken in the book of Malachi. Malachi. Pretty amazing, isn't it? How the scripture ties all of these pieces together and Luke as one who is detailed focused uh, captures all of these things for us. Well, then in verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Well, if you ever get an angelic visitation, I wouldn't do an ID check, okay? (laughs) Zechariah here in this moment. And this makes me feel a lot better, to be honest with you. We have a priest, right? He's been serving before the Lord, right? His wife's a priest. Like they're steeped in all of this. He gets selected, which doesn't happen for everybody, to go into this special place and burn incense before the Lord. And on top of that, we haven't heard from God in 400 years. And he hears, he's the one who receives all of this. When you're in that season, before your wonder is restored, what happens to you? Isn't this what happens to us? There's a sense of like, I don't know. I don't know. Is Really? This makes me feel a lot better uh, about my journey with God because there are many times where the stuffing gets knocked out of me and I just can't put the pieces together. I can't make sense of it. I don't understand it. Um, You know, for for Zechariah and Elizabeth, we're like, this is decades long. This isn't a short one. Some of the things that are like, just like pits in your heart that have never fully come around, right? And so sometimes this, like we respond like Zechariah. Just to give back a little credit to Zechariah, he uh, there were others who asked for a sign um, in the scriptures. Remember Gideon um, and Hezekiah. So others did ask for a sign. Part of the reason I think he receives sort of he he gets his sign. By the way, (laughs) right? What's the sign? He's 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 deaf and mute. So he did get his sign. That how will how will I know? How can I be sure of this? Well you're not going to be able to to communicate (laughs) uh, for the time that this is unfolding. So he ended up with lots of time to ponder uh, this moment. But there were many others, uh, Abraham and Sarah, uh, the birth of Samson as well, um, and Samuel, all of those births came out of situations not unlike what uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth were facing. So it was quite common that there was a barrenness situation and then God poured forth uh, something good. And so, but he as a priest would have known uh, some of those things. So he might be taken to task a little harder uh, than you and I on that. Uh, but it will come true in the appointed time. I think there's, there's that little kind of st- you know, section there makes me feel like there's a lot of times where we have to hang in there with God, right? And we have to hang in there until the appointed time where something's really brought to its fullness. And friends, that can be a long, long, long time. But there it is, at the appointed time, God will bring redemption to everything in your heart that has sadness, that has hurt, that has Pain and disconnect, he will bring those things about at the appointed time. Well, it carries on in verse uh, 21. Meanwhile, so all of this is going on inside the holy place. Nobody else is in there, so they don't know what's going on. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple while he was otherwise detained. Uh, when he came out, he could not speak to them. So imagine seeing what Zachariah saw, okay? Even if he had the use of speech, how, how do you begin to tell what just happened, right? But he doesn't have the powers of speech, and but they can tell the look on his face, they, something happened. And again, everyone else also knew that there were not visitations and prophetic things going on. The people realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them. I don't know what that would have been like, you know, and he would have done kind of sign language as best uh, he could to try to show people uh, what had happened. Um, the people were wondering why isn't he coming out? It didn't take all that long to offer the incense. And then when the priest would come out after symbolically connecting and relating with God in relationship, then he would come out and bless the people. Well, he's quite unable to, to do that in this instance at the end of chapter one, after his son is born, then he gives his prophetic blessing uh, over the people. It's very beautiful how it, uh, it all comes together. Uh, well, our our, uh, our vignette here carries on in verse 23. When his time of service was completed, okay. So at the end of the week, he was ministering in the temple. At the end of the week, he returned home. Now, I wonder what this conversation was like when he goes home to his wife. Now, I don't know, maybe she was there as a part of one of those, like, okay, my husband's serving in the temple, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a part of the worshippers offering sacrifice. So maybe she was there and, and witnessed some of that. But, but imagine them, you know, he, re, he returns home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Imagine them going home. Wow. And then imagine her start to feel this baby move inside of her, realizing I'm pregnant. <laughs> Imagine what that would have done and been like for them. She stayed in seclusion for five months. Luke, the master of details, gives us that little, that little detail. Why? I'm quite confident in a room this size. We've, we've, we've all probably been around miscarriages, difficulties, all of this, right? What do you do when you're not sure how things are going to pan out? You don't tell anybody you're pregnant. Right? We're talking about decades of this unmet longing desire, this pain in her heart, their hearts, like, okay. (laughs) like, And just that waiting period. And so she stays in seclusion for five months. I wonder even after if she received looks differently because it's not cool to be pregnant when you're like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Sort of like, what? Um, this wasn't, this wasn't a simple thing, but she rejoices um, because as she says, in these days he has shown his favor. And then it says, and taken away my disgrace among the people. Because the people were looking sideways at her. Because, oh, you're favored of God. Why is this happening to you? And that disgrace was taken away among the people. After all these years, God, it, this, this moment, this loss of wonder was brought to a fulfilling end and God had redeemed it for them. It's amazing how God brings his big mission in the world and he intertwines it with our little old, lo- like, right? Like we're not unimportant. And yet it fits into this big mission of what God is doing. So I wonder, what are the things, those places in your heart where you've life has happened to you and you've lost a sense of that wonder? God speaks still. And when he speaks, uh, it helps us believe. It helps us hold on to truth. It brings peace in the waiting time. But it also enables us to hang on because some of us just need to hang on. We're we're not, that moment is still to be fulfilled, right? I think of uh, in John, it says, I have much more to say to you. And he was telling them about future things even. I have much more to say to you, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Friends, the spirit can still speak into our hearts over the things where we've lost wonder. And then we can hang on to that until he brings about what it is he's going to do to heal us. So I want to give you, Pastor Jim's going to come, just going to play for a couple of minutes. And uh, I want to open up this front as a, an altar of incense, if you will. Just like the, the, the smoke would rise up, that, that was a symbol of the prayers going up to God. I wonder, would you be willing to come and bring some loss of wonder in your own life and just kneel here at the altar and just say, Lord, this is what I've, this is the peace that's lost. And if you're going to restore the wonder of Christmas to me, speak to me on this, help me hang on until you fulfill. Or if he brings about that fulfillment, then rejoice in God who's brought redemption to that. And so I'm just going to invite you if you want, just, We're going to have quiet music for the next couple of minutes before we take communion together. So come, if you want to just lay that before the Lord. Um, I'll kneel down here, and if you want to join me, then uh, just come up. As I look out at my church family here today I notice as I see faces I also see some of the stories and things that they've shared with our pastoral team even areas where we're scratching our heads God what's going on areas where wonder needs to be restored those are just the few we do know So I just want to pray over you Hope Church that God would restore what it is you need him to restore in your heart. Holy Spirit, would you speak a word of promise into these souls today, into our souls that gives us a word to hang on to until the time is fulfilled where some resolution, some redemption comes. Help us to hold on and hang on you work things out. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to just move right into our time of communion. If those who are going to serve um, could just uh, begin to pass out the bread. Um, once uh, once you receive the bread uh, servers, if you could just, just start right away in passing that out. And while they're bringing the elements to you, um, this is a special time. Uh, communion is if you've, uh, you don't have to, you think this is my first time here. Can I be a part of this? And we'd love for you to be a part of it. Those who name the name of Jesus, we're a part of a family and it's bigger than this church. It's bigger than our denomination. So if you name the name of Jesus, uh, You're a part of this family of God uh, as we take these elements. Just hold the bread until all are served and then we'll take together. But as that's coming out, I'm going to read from the prophet Isaiah in uh, chapter 53. Quiet yourself, maybe close your eyes even, and listen for the the things that remind you of Jesus and these prophetic words written hundreds and hundreds of years before they came to pass. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that that we should desire him. He was pierced and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. Yeah, he was despised and we held him in in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, it was on him. And by his wounds, then we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's take the bread together in remembrance of what he has done. As the cup is passed out, I'm gonna continue. Continue to see in the living Lord Jesus these words that have been fulfilled. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, and made intercession for the transgressors. Friends, the cup you hold in your hand, it's the means by which all of these things have taken place. It's the means by which the living God will come and visit you and restore a sense of wonder for the things that you have lost. The places where you are scratching your head, saying, I don't get this, God. This is the means by which He'll restore our wonder. Let's take the cup together. Friends, I realize. In a certain way, sometimes we can put a shot in your arm when you're here at church. I know you're going to go, you're going to walk out of here and go back home and you're going to feel, right, some of those things. As a community of faith, we hang on together. We can't hang on by ourselves. And so we gather until the Lord fulfills the things that he's spoken to us. One of the ways that uh, helps us is by singing together. So would you stand? Uh, We're going to sing and worship. Give your heart to the Lord this morning. Let's sing with all that we have, the, the wonder that we have now and the wonder that is to come as he fulfills his word to us.